Turn please to Psalm 66 again this evening. Psalm 66, verse 12. Psalm 66, 12. You caused men to rule over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Now, like I said, if you read the previous and know the history, so much of what they went through was because of their own sin, their own fault and mistakes. But, aren't you glad for that? (laughs) But you brought us out into a wealthy place. You know, even when you've gone through a lot of bad stuff and it's your own fault, He'll still bring you out, won't He? He'll still bring you out. Oh, thank you, Lord. I know uh, not too long after we got to Bible school and began to go into the ministry, we learned a few things about sowing and tithing and faith and, and confession. And Boy, the Lord began to bless us, began to increase us. We began to get some money. Well, we'd never had any before. So naturally we spin it. <laughs> Bought stuff. And just dumb. Just dumb. Young and dumb. And didn't think ahead and didn't plan. And got in a mess with our taxes. Got behind over a period of a couple of years there then. Two or three years. Got behind. And uh, with what we could do, we were still like $10,000 owing to the, the IRS. And of course you got the penalties and all that kind of stuff. And then we weren't making that much money so you know to uh, keep your normal stuff plus pay that back was you know didn't see how to do it. It's going to take faith. So we did. We got into faith. First thing we did was repent. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now Now again, if I paint your picture tonight, (laughs) don't frown, don't scowl, everybody will know. Just smile, look straight ahead. Amen, Brother Keith. Yeah, somebody needs to hear that. Just stay cool. But I don't know how long it was. It was a number of months. We're believing God confessing that we call it paid, we call that debt paid, we repented, said, God, forgive us for being dumb. We should have followed you and let you lead us, and we should have sown more, and we should have saved some, and we should have done some other things first. Just dumb, ignorant. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. Have mercy on us, please. And we'll endeavor to do better. And uh, I was at a, in a meeting. And the fellow was talking about some things. I was speaking there, another minister, and he's telling me about some tax problems. And I just said, yeah, I know what you mean. That's all I said. And uh, we went to our rooms, and we came back uh, later in the evening. And he caught me when I came around out of the car. He said, "Uh, you said you know what I mean. Well, see, the Lord must have quickened it to him because we didn't say anything about it. He said, you you got tax issues? I said, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. He said, how much? I said, "Uh, you need to know? He said, yeah, I do. I said, well, it's over $10,000. He looked down. He said, not a problem. He said, "Uh, I'm going to send you $1,000 a month until it's paid for. 
Glory to God. We didn't tell them. We didn't ask anybody. This is not an offering. You understand? This is us being dumb. What am I saying? I don't care if it's because of your own faults and mistakes. The Lord will still have mercy on you and get you out if you'll repent and if you'll believe Him. I mean, this is not somebody wanting to sow, you know, into building a church or or sowing into sending people to preach the gospel. I mean, it did affect us preaching, but this is helping somebody pay off their taxes. Isn't God merciful? Isn't He merciful and gracious? You know, the devil will tell people, oh, now you've made your bed hard, you're going to have to lie in it. Yeah, you got you sowed it, messed up, you're going to have to reap it. You just might as well gird up your loins. It's going to be a rough ride. They're forgetting one big thing. Mercy. 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 I said, well, you got to reap what you sow. No, no, not when you just say it like that. If you refuse to repent, if you refuse to have faith in what Jesus did, yeah. But Jesus reaped what we should have reaped. Come on, don't you know it? He reaped the penalty for all our sins. In all of our ignorance and stupidity and rebellion, He did. He reaped it all. So we wouldn't have to. And if you repent and exercise faith in what He's done, you don't have to go through it. You don't have to bear it. He bore it for us. And He'll have mercy. And even though you've been through some rough stuff, He will bring you out to a wealthy place. I think somebody believes it. The NIV says he brought you out to a place of abundance. The complete Jewish Bible says you brought us out to a place of plenty. The new century says you brought us out to a place with good things. The new King James, I like this, says you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Is there a place... That God has ordained for you. And it's your wealthy place. Your place of plenty. Your place of rich fulfillment. Now we said this word place if you look it up in the Hebrew here. It has to do with location or spot. Location. It also has to do with condition. Condition. How many know that's a place? We use that terminology today. Somebody says, boy, they're in a bad place. And they're not just talking about geographically. They're talking about their mentality, their heart. Well, God has a right place for you. A right location and a right condition. And in that place, both location and condition, in that place, you will prosper Like no other. In that place you will increase and succeed and bear fruit and make a difference and be a blessing and be happy like no other place. Like no other. Thank you, Lord. Go with me, if you would, please, to uh, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 
and the 10th chapter. With this statement came up last night, and we dealt with it some. I want to talk about it a little bit more. People say, I believe it. You know, you've got to find your place, and you need to be in your place. But there's a whole lot of people, I don't know what the people, too many, huge numbers of Christians and believers that are not convinced that they're in their place or that are convinced that they're not and that they haven't found their place and are in desperation being tempted to believe that they can't find their place. And there have been a number of people that have tried a bunch of things unsuccessfully. One unsuccessful venture and move and involvement after another, after another, after another. And there's a lot of believers, a lot of word people, a lot of faith people that are just very distraught and confused about this issue of me being in my right place. And they'll try to tell you, it's so hard. It's so hard for me to find my place. I've searched and searched and searched. I've prayed and prayed and prayed. and I've done this and I've done that. It's hard. And the implication is, man, you've got to be spiritual. Oh, man, you've got to like be able to quote the Bible frontwards and backwards and fast 90 days if you need to. And, and you've got to be like really, really, really spiritual to hear from God and know His will and find your place. Not true. Not true. Not true. Baby Christians got saved two days ago can find their place and stay in it their whole life. Not true. We touched on it. We began to get into it. This confusion that people are experiencing is self-induced and devil-assisted. But it is deception. It's wrong. Now think about what people are implying. There's a number of people to talk to them, even if they don't say it in the specific exact words. They're implying, I'm doing everything I know to find my place and to find the will of God. And it's just so hard and I just can't find it. You know what they're implying? That the Lord's not helping them to find it. That he's not being faithful. He's, he's making this hard. And it's contrary to what Jesus said. It's contrary to what the word says. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. Didn't he say it? I'm going to send you another comforter. The spirit of truth. He's going to lead you. Come on. He's going to guide you. Did he say it? Into all the truth. Well then how come so many people saying. He's not guiding me. I'm I'm not getting it. It's so hard to find. That's acting like he's aloof. He's not helping you. It's not true. I said it's not true. It is not true. Finding your place. Is not an incredibly hard thing to do. It's not. Two things. You got to be willing. Anybody know the other one? And you got to be 
obedient. Anybody remember that scripture? Isaiah. Was it 1, 18 and 19? If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. And both of them are required. Vital. Both. Now, Phyllis and I were talking about this uh, yesterday, I guess it was. Reminded us some of the things that the Lord's bringing up of Brother Hagin and how he talked about in the early days of his ministry. He didn't want to leave pastoring, but the Lord dealt with him too. And he did it, but he did it reluctantly. The teaching ministry wasn't understood like it is now. And uh, a lot of times the itinerant traveling ministers were the poorest. (laughs) And uh, just trying to get a meeting and going from place to place. And sure enough, as the months went by, of him endeavoring to do this, that he's convinced the Lord told him his finances just got worse. And I mean, he said his children weren't clothed properly. They weren't eating properly. He, uh, he sold his car for junk. That's all it was good for. And just, you know, not making it. Borrowing money to continue the next month. Well, you can't do that forever or even very long. And finally, he got really serious seeking the Lord about it and spent some time fasting and seeking and Lord, what is the deal? I did what you told me. And he was quoting to him this scripture. <laughs> if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Lord, you said that, and I did what you told me to do. I left my church. In some ways, we had it made there. We had the best house we ever had. We had the most money we ever had, and I left it. And I'm out here. We got no parsonage. We got no allowance. We got none of this. You know, every dime we're having to believe for. And I did what you told me to do, but I'm not eating the good of the land. And my kids are not eating the good of the land, and my wife's not eating the good of the land. And he's praying like this for, you know, off and on for these days while he's fasting and spending some time getting quiet. And he said, finally, uh, the third day, he's quiet, waiting before the Lord. And he brought it up again. Lord, you said, if I'd be willing and obedient, I'd eat, I'd eat the good land. And I did what you told me to do. I obeyed. I left my church. I'm out here on the road, like you said, but I'm not eating the good of the land. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, well, the problem is you don't qualify. And if you've ever heard him tell the story, he said, he said, I felt like the Lord hit me a low blow. <laughs> you don't qualify. He said, Lord, what do you mean I don't qualify? I did what you told me to do. I left my church. He said, yeah, but you're not willing. You did it. But you're not willing. Now, see, he's in the right place. Half of it. What does place mean? Location. Location, And what else? Condition. Condition. He's in the right place location-wise, but not condition-wise. His heart's not in it. Can you see this now? I mean, you can be exactly in the right geographical spot. You can be in the right church. You can be in the right business. You can be in the right ministry. You can be connected to the right people. And still not be in the right place with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. If the right place is willing and obedient, what's the wrong place? 
unwilling. <laughs> unwilling. Like kids sometimes say, all right, I'll do it. And they stomp, stomp, stomp and slam the door. <laughs> ah, that ain't enough. <laughs> all right, I'll do it. Uh-uh, we, we're not done. No. God looks at the heart. Not just what you do. He looks at your heart. And it's the heart of the giver, the worker, the sower that makes the gift or job acceptable to God. It can be done in the natural perfect with every I dotted and every T crossed and be completely unacceptable to the Lord if the heart's not right. Everybody say willing and obedient. Both. The first thing is you got to be willing. Doesn't take long to say it. And I don't know at the people I've talked to that in the beginning they were telling me how willing they are <laughs> until something came up that they had to act on it. Oh, Lord, I love you. I'll do anything. Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll do it. Do this. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> it's easy to talk willingness. There are times you must submit your will to His. Now, we're going to touch on some of this tonight. Can you handle it? Yes. Oh, I haven't digressed. Amen. This has to do with you finding your place. And staying in your place. This is the heart of it. This is very important. The very word submit. Is politically. And religiously. Incorrect. Oh submit. Let me just say it again a time or two. Submit. Submit. Did you know it's a Bible word? You find it numerous times in the Bible, but people are like, ah, let's use another word. <laughs> now we need to use that word because it describes, you hear a lot of times people say, well, now, you know, normally I submit to them, but now on this, I just don't agree. And what they don't realize is they haven't been submitting at all. They've been operating in agreement. And now here's one of the first times they've had to submit, and who knows when, and they're refusing to do it. They're failing a test. I used to teach on this in Rama. We talk about submission and authority and those kind of things, pride and humility and in the course that we taught there. And uh, students, it was a second year course. They felt it was a little strong for first year, you know. <laughs> and it was. But I'd have students, even first year students, tell them, oh, man, I'll be so glad when I get to next year and I can get in your class. And I had people tell me, I'm, man, I want that. You know, submission's always been easy for me. And I know immediately they don't have a clue about what it is. Because submission is not easy for anybody. No, well, yeah, but I, my parents taught me that, and I understood it, and it's not that hard for me. You don't know what it is, honey. 
Submission was not easy for Jesus. And you're not above him. When he cried, strong tears, he sweat blood, and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way, all things are possible with you. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Was that easy? No. That's submission. That's submission. How do you get in your place? When you're born again. You got a father who's greatly interested in keeping you on the right path. Your father God, he assigned great big angels to you. He's got the Holy Spirit in you. He'll pull people around you to help you and teach you. He, I mean, it's almost irritating when people say, I can't seem to hear from God and find my place because it is not God's fault. He's given us every resource, every help. He is very interested in you staying on your path in you running your race, in you finding your place, in you finishing your course. Very interested. And he's given us every help. Number one, you got to be willing to go his way. Even when it's different from yours. And there will be times when it's different from what you would do. I said there will be. Not there might be. There will be times when his way is different than what you've planned. And you'll have to die to what you wanted to do. And you'll have to lay it aside and forget about it. And go his way. But here's the thing. You will know it. I said you will know it. Everybody say I'll know it. You'll know it. It's not like the will of God is just going to come pass you by and you're oblivious. You will know it. Say it again. I'll know it. it. What are you talking about, Brother Keith? What's the two keys we're talking about? Willing and obedient. The willing part makes you able to hear it and receive it and get it. But then there comes a time when you know what to do and all that's left is do it. If you're unwilling, that will hinder and block you from finding out what the next step is. You got to be willing. But there are certain times in life, in all of our lives, there are special times When things come up and we know, maybe it didn't come all overnight, but over the course of time or weeks or months, we come to the place where we know we're supposed to do something. We know we're supposed to go. We know we're supposed to become a part of something. We know we're supposed to get involved in something. We know. You'll know it. And these times, friends, we, help me, Lord, to get this out. We haven't been taught How important these times are. When you're at these junctures in life. Your whole future. 
is in the balance. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here tonight? There are times, there came a time in Phyllis in my life, back in Mississippi, where we knew we were supposed to go out to Broken Air and go to Ramah. Boy, we didn't know much. But we got that enough. How you going to do it? We didn't know. Why, we didn't even know why we're doing it. But we knew we were supposed to go. It took us a little while to get to that place. It started working on us. The first time it came up, uh, there was a cover of the Word of Faith. And there was a graduating class on the front there. And they were all in red. And I saw that. And the thought crossed my mind about me going and graduating. And it lasted about that long. And I thought, <laughs> nah. Nah, just like that. But see, the Lord got the thought in. And over the course of the next several months, it went from just a flicker to, are we supposed to go? I think we are. Yes. And I found, if something's the Lord today, it'll be the Lord tomorrow. If you just keep praying about it and looking at it, you'll get clearer and clearer and stronger and stronger. Now let's just stop right here. What if you're unwilling to entertain that idea? You'll never get that far got to be willing to do anything go anywhere you got to be willing to be a part of whatever the Lord would say you got to be willing but that juncture looking back now having learned a few things boy that was an important juncture in our life we could have said no we don't know anybody we don't have any money why are we doing it anyway and friend if we'd have said no you and I wouldn't be looking at each other tonight, right? If we'd have said no, our wealthy place at that time in our life was Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. We'd never been there, didn't know anything about it, but that was our wealthy place, and it was for the next 20-some years. There are junctures, there are times in our life where we come to the place we know we're supposed to do something. Now you don't know the whole picture. All we knew was go out there. And a lot of times people say, well, why should I go? What would I do? What's the purpose? And you get to doing that, you're leaning to your own understanding. Your reasoning is taking the preeminence. And when people know something to do, but they won't do it, that's when the problems come in. That's when the confusion really begins to develop. They knew they were supposed to go. They knew they were supposed to stay. They knew they were supposed to be apart. But for whatever reasons, kept procrastinating, kept putting it off, wouldn't do it. Other things taking preeminence in their life, just wouldn't do it, just wouldn't do it. Now, darkness begins to work in your understanding. If you won't do it. After a while, you don't want to believe you're not in the will of God. So you keep trying to tell yourself, I can be just as blessed here. You keep telling yourself, I can prosper just as much. I can do a lot here. But you can't. Because you're in rebellion. You're in disobedience. If, when the Lord directs you to do something, you'll take that step. 
you'll always be in the right place at the right time and season. And there are specific times in our life. Doesn't necessarily happen. I'm talking about these kind of things don't happen every month or every three months or every six months. Every year necessarily. But there are times in your life where you get to a place where you know, I'm supposed to do this. Sometimes your head don't want to. Sometimes other people tell you not to. But I understand, what is hinging on this? If you say no, if you won't do it, when you say no to entering from where you are into that place, you just said no to your increase. You said no to your prosperity. You said no to your development. And the sad thing is how many people don't know what they've missed. All they know is they're unhappy. They're all kind of believers. Too many. They're unhappy. They're bored. Now, I'm going to go ahead and be bold. Can you handle it tonight? Bored believers are unwilling, disobedient people. They're bored. They're unhappy. They're disgruntled. Frustrated. Why? Because they're not where they're supposed to be and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And you keep doing that for month after month and year after year, you get mean. You take it out. People take it out on each other. They take it out on their family. They take it out on their spouse, their kids, everybody. Why? They're unhappy. They're bored. They feel useless. They feel unfruitful. They know inside and whether they want to admit it or not, they're not developing. I'm not developing, I'm not maturing, I'm not growing like I'm supposed to. Why? Anybody knows? They're not where they're supposed to be, and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. If you're where you're supposed to be, and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you will not be bored. You will not. You catch yourself bored, what do you know? There's something I'm supposed to be doing. And this is also why so many people are getting into so much sin. I said, what do you mean? You remember David? His big catastrophe? The blemish on his otherwise amazing record? How did it happen that he got involved with this woman? The Bible said it came to pass. The time when armies and kings went to war. Kings went to war. Kings. He sent Joab. And stayed at home. And he's messing around on top of the house. Bored. He's already seen all the shows and heard all the music and done everything. And raced all the chariots and... When you're not where you're supposed to be, nothing satisfies you. Oh, come on. Can you see this? Nothing is right. And so he's hanging around there just seeing what he can see. And whoo. 
Wow. What if it had been out in the camp with his men? Taking care of business. He wouldn't have been up there. He wouldn't have been idle. He wouldn't have seen her. He couldn't have called her. See friend when you're at the wrong place. At the wrong time. Now the enemy can do stuff. He can tempt. You're on his territory. You're where he can do things. We're not supposed to be bored. We're supposed to be busy. Occupying. Till he comes. Doing what? Every one of us. Every one of us has got a place. The Lord has placed every member of the body in the body as it has pleased him. Everybody's got a specific place and everybody's graced to do specific tasks and jobs. And it is not impossibly hard for you to find your place. God's helping you. He's giving you the Holy Spirit. He's giving you the Bible. He's giving you preachers. He's giving you friends. He's giving you angels. But you've got to be willing. And then you've got to obey. Step out. And when you do, oh, you'll know it. You know, we were out there for 20-some years. And Lord, that was to come over here. Why? We didn't know anybody over here. And I didn't have a clue we were going to pastor. Why? And it took a step of faith. But every time, from there, Mississippi, to Tulsa, from Tulsa, to here, every step, I'm telling you, looking back now, you think, why did I hesitate? Why did I blink an eye? Because we came up. Oh, man, our increase was there. Our increase was here. Why? It's the place, doing what you're supposed to be doing, obeying the Lord. The Lord's done amazing things for us here in Branson. Faith Life Church, do you know it? I mean, God has blessed us. I mean, He's done a lot for us in a short amount of time, and He's helping us reach the world. Glory to God. Well, what if we sit over in Tulsa and said, what do we need to go to Branson for? I'm in the ministry. I'm preaching every day. I know how to believe God. I know how to sow seed. I'll just prosper right here. Well, we did prosper as long as that was the place for us. But when he tells you to do something else, and you can sense it if you'll pay attention, the grace for what you were doing begins to wane. (laughs) And sometimes people, without understanding what's going on, they start finding fault with other people. All these people have changed. This place has changed. I don't know what's wrong with these people. Are we sure it's all of them? Or could it be you have changed and you're no longer graced for this? How would you know that's happening? Because you know something else you're supposed to be doing. Well, I don't know what it is. Well, then you're not ready for that. You will know. Somebody say, I will know. know. All this second guessing and and what if and what about. Forget all that. God loves you. He will let you know if you're willing. But then when you know, what's it time to do? Time to do it. Don't move till you know. When you do know, move. And then when you get where he wants you to be, 
Stay unless and until he tells you something else. Did you find Ecclesiastes? I'm getting there. I hope I'm saying it strong enough. Do not believe all this junk about it being hard to find the will of God. It's lies, it's error, it's confusion. Three reasons why people are not in their place. We've given you two of them already. One, unwilling. We could spend the whole night on that. Unwilling. You've got to be willing. Secondly, when they knew something to do, they didn't do it. These are critical times in life. And thirdly, there's a goodly number of people that got willing and stepped out and obeyed. And God got them in their place. And then, can you guess what happened? They jumped out. They got out of their place. The Lord didn't tell them to. He didn't lead them to. They just left for their own personal reasons. And they're trying to prosper and they're trying to succeed in a plan of their own. And they've left their wealthy, prosperous place. Ecclesiastes 10. Read this with me, please. Ecclesiastes 10. Verse 4, if the spirit of the ruler rise up against you, what do you do? Say it again. Tell me what you do. Leave not. What does that mean? Don't leave. Say it again. Don't leave. Tell me again. What do you do? Is this the Bible? What do you do? Don't leave your place. For yielding pacifies great offenses. The English version says, if your ruler becomes angry with you, do not hand in your resignation. No, we're laughing, but the Bible said, do not hand in your resignation. What does that mean? What if you hand it in anyway? You're rebellious. Yeah, but they jumped on me. They got mad at me. They called me dumb. I don't have to put up with that. Where's the love of Jesus? Does that relieve you of this word? Would the Lord say, oh, oh, they were mean. Well, that's different. Resign. (laughs) If your ruler becomes angry with you, do not hand in your resignation. Serious wrongs may be pardoned if you keep calm. I've found this, if your anger gets stirred up, if your feelings get hurt, you get all worked up or stirred up or angered up, shut up. (laughs) Just, 
Shut that mouth. This is not the time to talk. This is not the time. You can always quit later if you want to. Even if it's not the will of God. You can always quit later. Don't look at me like that. Do you know what I'm saying or not? What do you mean? Say yes, sir. Say yes, ma'am. Submit. Comply. Go home. Pray about it. Think about it. You can always come back and quit tomorrow if you want to. But don't do something based on offense and anger and feelings and what somebody else said or did. Because if this is your wealthy place, there is no other place where you can prosper like this. The Bible said, leave not thy place. Say it again. Leave not thy place. The New Living says, if your boss is angry at you, don't quit. Say, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Now, that's talking about your mistakes as to why they were angry at you to start with. But it could also include their mistakes. But what can help y'all get through your mess-ups and theirs? Be quiet. Stay calm. Don't, don't. Give them a piece of your mind. Don't. Tell them how you got the Holy Ghost too and you hear from God too. Don't. Tell them how they're not walking in love and how they're not spiritual. Because that could relieve you of the option of quitting. And they're going to cut it for you to bounce up to the Lord and go, I didn't quit. I didn't quit. They fired me. Nah, it's still your fault. <laughs> go to Genesis, please. 16th chapter. The Lord's helping us. <laughs> a lot of people like to shout about the idea of a thing. But when it comes time to make it happen, and we talk about what it takes to do it, some folk are not as excited. But this is what it takes to find your place and stay in your place. Genesis tells us a perfect example of what he just described. Genesis 16 and verse 1. Genesis 16.1. Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray you, go in unto my maid, Hagar. It may be that I may obtain, that's a bunch of may, Children by her. And Abram said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. (laughs) Hearkened to the voice of Sarai. 
He went along with her. In other words, he said, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's how God's going to do it. And we've come to this several times already this week. We are children of God, born again, got the Holy Spirit inside us to lead us. We are not to operate by maybe. We are not to put out fleeces. This is what Gideon did. Gideon, you couldn't tell him, brother, be led. He wasn't born again. He didn't have the spirit to lead him like we do. No, putting out fleeces is not for New Testament believers. I've heard Christians, you know, in modern times pray, Lord, if this is really you, then have three red cars come by my house. One after another. Lord, if this is you, do, no, no, somebody says, well, I did it and it happened. God has mercy on babies. Okay? But learn and grow because God's not the only one can do things out here in this world. The enemy can do some things. And if you're led by external stuff and what you see and feel, you can be led by the enemy. You can be led by all kinds of stuff. We're supposed to be led internally. 100% internally. You got to watch about praying like this. Well, now, Lord, if you don't want me to do this, then just shut the door so I can't. <laughs> Our Lord, you know, well, no. Well, Lord, if, if you want me to do it, then just make it where I got the opportunity and I can do it. You're still being led by external things. We're not to be led by opportunities. No, we're not to be led by needs. We're not to be led by opportunities. We're not to be led by desires. We're to be led, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says they are the sons of God. What do you mean, Brother Keith? We're supposed to be led enough by the Spirit that if we come up and the door is bolted and locked, we say, now, Lord, you said you want me to go through here, right? Okay, then you stand there and you believe God till the thing comes open. I don't care if both doors are open wide and somebody on the other side is going, come on, come on. You don't just run through there. You go, Lord, I see that. Now, that's an opportunity. But is this you? Should I do this? Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. A need is not a leading. An opportunity is not a leading. A good thing is not a leading. We're to be led internally. Oh, friend, I, it didn't take long to say that, but do you know Christians are missing it in this area all over the place? We're not to put out fleeces. We're not to live by it may be. Well, we'll move over there and see. Maybe that's God. Maybe that's our place. You're not ready to do anything. Well, we'll join that church. Maybe that's the right church. No, you're not to operate like that. You to seek God. Well, you tell me what to do. <laughs> no, you're supposed to be led for yourself. Even if I told you, you should take it to the Lord. You don't have to go through any man or woman to get to God. There's one God and one mediator between God and men. Just one. You don't have to go through any saint. You don't have to go through any preacher. 
You don't have to go through Mary. Did you? You can go straight to the Father in the name of Jesus. Every child of God. And you need to find out for yourself. And you need to stay with it till you get clear and you get sure. None of this it may be. We'll try that. Maybe this is it. And maybe that's it. Well, that wasn't it. Okay, we'll try this. Maybe. How did they come out with this maybe? Whew. Still in the news today. This maybe God stuff. Uh-uh. So anyway, he did it. He went along with her. And uh, verse 4, and she conceived. She became pregnant. And of course, now everybody knows there's nothing wrong with Abraham. It's been Sarah's problem all this time. And that really bothers Sarah. Verse 4, when Hagar conceived, she saw that she conceived. Her mistress was despised in her eyes. Hagar looked down on Sarah. And Sarah, I said to Abram, my wrong be on you. (laughs) Wait up now. Verse 1 starts with Sarai. This was her idea. Now she says, Abram, it's your fault. I gave my maid into your bosom, and when she saw she conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and you. Abram said to Sarai, Behold, look, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as it pleases you. Do what you want to do. And Sarai dealt hardly with her. And she what? She fled. Now, was this right? For Sarah to... What does it mean, deal hardly with? Be harsh. She was harsh with her. She was hard with her. Maybe mean. That's not okay. But did you read the rest of the story? She took off. She said, I'm out of here. I ain't got to put up with that. Nobody can talk to me like that. I don't have to take that from anybody. I'm gone. An angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said to Hagar, Sarai's maid. She probably wouldn't answer to that anymore. She probably said, X, X. (laughs) I don't work for her no more. (laughs) You know, if the Lord says you're something, that's what you are. No matter if you quit, if you run, if he say you're so-and-so's helper, then that's what you are. If you never do it. You know, our ministry, the Lord gave us, the, we got the direction, go to Ramah. And a, not a month after I got there, we got our next part of our direction. And this was it. Three words. Help Brother Hagen. Well, I reckon that'd make me his helper. Only he didn't even know I was there. But that was my directive. And for the next 20 years, that's what the Lord enabled us to do. And what a privilege it was. Phyllis's directive was to help me. So what do you think we did? I helped Brother Hagen. She helped me help Brother Hagen. We helped Brother Hagen. 
That involved a lot of things. That involved sweeping floors and it involved visiting and counseling and working on the phones. It involved uh, set up and tear down. It involved driving cars. It involved materials. It involved talking to people after services. Eventually it involved teaching and ministering in the healing school. Years after that it involved teaching at Ramah. Years after that, it involved us traveling with him and singing and doing other things. But to me, I had somebody ask me, so how did you believe God to become a rhema teacher? I didn't. He just said, we need help. And I had already heard 20 years before. Help Brother Hagin. And so if I had decided in the middle or beginning or anywhere that I didn't want to help him anymore, in the Lord's eyes, who would I still be? I would still be his helper even though I wasn't doing it. And there's a lot of folk right there in that case. Keep reading. He said, uh, where did you come from? And where will you go? Now, he's not asking because he don't know. <laughs> where did you come from? And where will you go? You know, so many times people quit and they haven't given them one thought about what they're going to do next. Yes. They just get mad. And they throw their tools down and they clean out their desk and they walk, whatever. They hey, hey, hey. I don't have to put up with this. I ain't got much, but I got my pride. <laughs> Nobody talks to me like that. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. When I was, what was it, 19? I quit a job. Because I felt a man had lied about me. And uh, he said a certain thing had happened and just pride. I said, well, I want to hear him say it to my face. <laughs> well, I'm talking to the boss man. Well, that made him mad. He shut down production. Everything stopped. He brought everybody inside. He said, tell him what you said. He looked at me like, uh, <laughs> around his feet. And I quit. I said, well, if that's how you feel. I'm not going to stay. I quit. I was wrong. Thank God I learned a few things since then. I said I was wrong. Somebody says, well, if they said that to you, you'd have to take that. If the Lord told me to be there, I do have to take it. If I'm going to stay in his will, I got to deal with it. This is what so many have not understood. They thought, well, hey, I don't have to put up with that. I don't have to stay here. I don't have to take that. What did the Bible say? Even when the anger of the ruler rises up against you. What did the Bible say? Come on, tell me what did the Bible say? Now what somebody thought. What did the Bible say? Leave not your place. What does that mean? Stay. Well, what if they're heaping abuse on me? What if they're treating me wrong? Don't leave your place. You can see how popular this message is. <laughs> you can hear the response. <laughs> or lack thereof. I remember hearing Brother Lester Sumrall towards the end of his ministry. He was talking about a number of things one night in a message. And he would talk about why. 
how God had raised up the television network and he had preached all over the world and a lot of things had happened. And he said, you know, and sometimes, you know, he'd beller, you know, he'd say, you know why? He says, I did not quit. And boy, the further I go in ministry, the more I see it. There were times when we were tempted to quit. There were times when we thought about doing this and that. But if you're going to obey the Lord and he's your Lord and Savior, you can't quit. You can't just change and do what you want to do and change to be changing. We live in a society where, you know, people are moving around a lot more than they used to. And people just change to be changing just to get some new scenery. Whole denominations have developed to the point where they change their pastors just every year or two just to keep things shaken up a little bit. But the plan of God is not that open for your restructuring. (laughs) He said, where'd you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I don't blame you. (laughs) I mean, anybody talk to me like that, I'd be gone too. (laughs) You don't have to take that. Mm-mm, nobody has to take that. Come on, tell me what he said. What did he say? Rose return mean. You reckon she's ready to go back? <laughs> go back, return to your mistress and do what? Tell her that you're willing to talk to her if she's willing to change some things. And you're willing to meet her halfway. Because you know she did do wrong. But if she's willing to change. I'm willing to talk about it. Isn't this how most people think? In most churches. They have no concept. Of God's choice. And God's placement. They don't have respect for the anointing. And don't realize. That in feeling that free to treat people as equals and demand that kind of response they don't realize they're disrespecting God who created places and chose people and anointed them do you remember David and how he was chased by Saul how Saul made his life we'd say a living hell didn't he He had to leave everybody he knew. He had to leave all of his occupation in the army. He had to leave his family. He had to leave his house. Had to leave his wife. And run. Every day of his life he didn't know when he woke up the next morning. Uh, They couldn't stay in one place too long. They're always trying to find something to eat. He's a criminal. In the mind of the whole nation. And you remember on more than one occasion. He had opportunity To hurt him. To kill him. Remember that? Saul went in the cave one time. Didn't know they were there. They were right there. They could have killed him. They could have attacked him. In fact his men wanted him to do it. They said do it. The Lord delivered him into your hand. There he is. Kill him. And we quit running. Kill him. And the next time it happened. One of his men said I'll do it. I I just one lick. That's all it'll take. Just let me hit him one time. And what did David say? David said, no. 
Why? Don't you think he wanted to stop running too? Don't you think Saul treated him badly and wrong? Go to, uh, hold your place there and go to Samuel, 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24 and 6. Well, actually, David had cut off Saul's robe. And verse 5 said uh, David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Did you hear those words? My master, the Lord's anointed. He's talking about a man that's virtually demon-possessed. A man who is not doing right. A man who is being dishonest and unfair. A man who's full of envy. And he calls him the Lord's anointed. To stretch forth my hand against him. Seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. One of the things that made David the man that he was. And a man after God's own heart. You'll see this if you study his whole life and the writings that are in here about him. He knew about honor. He knew about honoring God. And this is how he honored God. This is not based on how this man is acting. Or what this man has done or is doing or will do. This has nothing to do with Saul as a man. As a human being. He's treating them this way. He's talking about him this way. He's refusing to touch him. Why? Because the Lord chose this man. And the Lord put his anointing on this man. And David's going to respect that. No matter what the man does. Can you see this? When it happened again. Just over to the 20. Sixth chapter, I guess it is. Twenty-six. That's when uh, Abishai said, uh, let me just strike him one time. And verse 9, David said to him, destroy him not. Don't you do it. Back up. Put your spear up. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He said, don't you do it. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord will smite him or his day will come to die. He'll descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. What's he saying? He said, the Lord will deal with him. I mean, he's virtually a demon possessed man. Lying, murderous man. And he said, the Lord will deal with him, but I'm not going to touch him. Why? What does it mean the Lord's anointed? God picked the man. God chose. How many know if God put the man in the place, he can take the man out of the place? God picked the man. God put his holy anointing on that man. And if he wants to take him out, that's his business. I'm not touching him. And he still called him his master. 
Why? Because that was his job at the time, to help him. He wanted to help him. There were times he'd, in his presence, you remember, he'd play his instrument. And the anointing would come. And Saul would get relief. Saul was chasing one of the best friends he had. Somebody that God had raised up to do something for him. But he saw that because of his own wickedness and ungodliness, this man was going to replace him. And he couldn't stand it. Now to see just how powerful this place thing is, go with me over to the gospel accounts here. John 11. Now when we were shouting a day or two ago (laughs) about our wealthy place, the Lord knew this was part of it, didn't he? He knew in order to find it and stay in it, you'd have to do this. You'd have to know about this. So if we're wise, we'll still be excited about what we were excited about yesterday. We're just learning how to do it. We've given you three things. How to find your place and how to stay in your place. Anybody got them so far? Number one, got to be willing. Willing. Number two. When you find out something that you're supposed to do, you got to do it. If you'll do those two things, you will get in the place you're supposed to be in. Every time. You will. But is that the end of it? No. Once you get in your place, you can be tempted to get out. Millions have. God supernaturally joined them to people put them in their place, and then they got miffed, they got offended, they got their feelings hurt, they got mad, somebody didn't do what they wanted them to do, didn't let them do what they wanted to do, they quit. They left. And now they've tried 20 other things in the last five years, and they're bored, they're unfulfilled, they're disgruntled, they're unhappy. Why? Why? They're not where they're supposed to be. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And you know, a lot of people have done this. They were supposed to be somebody's helper. And they've left and trying to have their own. There's a number of people would be a far greater blessing to the, the overall body of Christ as a helper to another ministry than trying to have their own. The reason they want their own is not because the Lord told them to do it. It's because they're unwilling to submit to anybody. And that's why so many times things have splintered when they should have stayed together. They'd have been bigger. They'd have been stronger. They'd have had a greater impact on the earth. When I've been helping Brother Hagin, I think about three or four years internationally known man of God. If I called his name, probably everybody in here would know him. We were in a great meeting. He didn't know me. This man didn't know me. Called me out in front of that huge crowd. And he looked at me. He said, you're supposed to have your own ministry. And he said some other things. Now when he said it, I knew it was right. And so we stayed another 15 years. 
Mrs. Why? It wasn't time. God has set our places and our times. In my heart, I knew it was right. How many know that when the prophet and the prophetess said things over Jesus, what did the Bible say about Mary? She pondered it in her heart. There are a lot of things you know it's right, but it's not time to talk about it. It's time to keep it in your heart and keep getting your training. And we may be talking about decades. And in this day and age, people don't like that word. (laughs) This day of instant message and text and microwave and drive-through, you're talking about 10, 20 years. Oh, brother. But God never changes. He's always been this way. You know, you see people before, they see somebody that's got a strong anointing on them, and they'll come up to folk and go, lay hands on me and and give me some of that anointing. Because, you know, Moses laid hands on Joshua. He had that same spirit on him. Yeah, after 40 years, (laughs) you don't even know the man. You're going to run up and you've done nothing. You've served none. You've been faithful no time with them. And you're supposed to receive all this and all. And yet people are trying to do this all over the place. And what they wind up doing is like Brother Hagin said, laying empty hands on empty heads. <laughs> Nothing is happening. And that's obvious by the fruit of people's life. They've had 34 people lay hands on them. And they're still defeated and frustrated. Hmm? And unfruitful. Somebody say 40 years. 40 years. At the end of all that time, the Lord spoke to Moses, told him to lay hands on Joshua. Wasn't Moses' idea, wasn't Joshua's idea. The Lord did this. If you have any anointing on you, you didn't give it to yourself, and you can't just give it to somebody else at your whim. People are playing with the things of God. Some out of ignorance and some for other more serious wrong reasons. But did you find uh, John 11? John 11 and 49. I want you to get this. We Let me review. David called Saul my master, the anointed of the Lord. Virtually a demon-possessed man. Is he respecting what Saul is doing? No. Is he giving glory to the man's flesh? No, no. What is he honoring? He's honoring God. He's honoring the fact that God picked the man and God anointed the man. And he's going to respect that from now on. No matter what the man does. And look how powerful this place is. You hear so many people. Fussing and going, how come I'm supposed to submit to him? I mean, I got more education than he does. I can sing better. I know this, I know that. What qualifies a person to be in a place of oversight in the kingdom? God's choice and God's anointing. Not their flesh, not their brain, not their history, not their mama, not their daddy. And we haven't 
acknowledge the power of the place. Why is a mama and a daddy qualified to raise a child and they never had one? And the teenager is supposed to listen to them and, and it's on and on and on. Why? Couldn't be because of their great experience and never done this before. Why? What would qualify them? God chose them to be your parents. And with that choice, He's going to anoint them. He's going to lead them for your sake when they don't even know they're being led. Come on, can you see this? And this is very unpopular. The Bible said the husband's supposed to be the head of the house, head of the family. Extremely politically incorrect. And people say, well, what is him being a man? How does that qualify him to be the head of the house? It doesn't. Him being a man doesn't qualify him. Well, I'm smarter than him. Maybe you are. Maybe you just think you are. (laughs) But him being smarter than you wouldn't qualify him. God looks at the heart and knowing the end from the beginning, he makes choice among us. Remember Peter standing up and God used him to help quell a whole thing that was going on in the church. He said, don't you remember God made choice among us a while back that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of God. And they all shut up and listened. It qualified him. Why? God had picked him to do that job and used him and people showed respect for that. And that's not just showing respect for Peter. It's showing respect for God that did the picking and the choosing. Why does the pastors think they can lead and have oversight? I think I pray more than they do. I think I can quote more scripture than they can. Even if you can. It's not them being those individuals and personalities that qualifies them. It's the fact that God chose them. The place and the anointing and grace that goes with the place. And friend, He will do things with them that they don't even know they're doing for you. Oh, you're not shouting enough on this. Let me show you how powerful this is. Are you with me in John 11? Look at this. Look at this. John 11 and 47 and 8 here. Verse 7, then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council. They said, what do we? This man does many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Did he even know that's what he prophesied? No. Oh, do you see this? What are we talking about? The power of a God placement. The power of a place of God and a choice of God. This man... Is anything but right. He's the high priest. But he's not a good man. 
He's planning the murder of Jesus. He's justifying killing Jesus. But the fact that he's in that place of high priest, words come out of him that he was supposed to say. He didn't mean to say them. He didn't want to say them. Didn't even know what he was saying. Why? Because of the place. You and I ought to have strong confidence when we pray for our leaders. We pray for our president. We pray for our congressmen, our senators. What do you mean? There's no authority, the Bible said, but that which is of God. Doesn't mean all the people are of God. But if they're in that place, we can believe God. I've seen people start to do things and they just look and start saying stuff. And then they look like, why did I say that? Because we prayed, we believe God. And they're in the place. And he'll do things through people through the place for our sake. Even beyond them and beside them. Are we still talking about place? He said, Hagar, do what? You still holding that place in Genesis? Go back there and see why. Hagar? Reckon she's glad to hear that? Hagar? Return to your mistress. A lot of folk would say, that ain't my mistress no more. I don't work for her. I told you, X. (laughs) No, you are still, in the eyes of the Lord, you are still, and you will be still. Sarai's maid, you go and submit yourself under her hands. Why? Read verse 10. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I'll do what? Oh, is that the place of her increase? Is that why she needs to go back among other reasons? I will multiply your seed exceedingly. It'll not be numbered for multitude. Friend, her blessing is there. Her increase is there. She's mad. She don't want to be there. She's run off. She's quit. But it doesn't change the plan of God. And by the grace of God, she did. She humbled herself. She went back. She got back in her place, and things happened that were supposed to happen. Go to 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter, the second chapter. We live in a society that doesn't understand much of this. We live in a rebellious generation. But we're not to be so with the Lord. 1 Peter 2 and 18. This is New Testament. Now you notice that, right? New Testament. 1 Peter 2, 18. Servants, be subject to your masters. It says, thank God I don't have any masters. Oh, yes, you do. Whether you're acknowledging them or not. The Bible talks about knowing them that are over you in the Lord. Acknowledging them. You ought to be able to name names of people that are over you in the Lord. If you can't come up with a name, you need to pray through. They're there. Or they should be. Or otherwise you're not in your place. 
Be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Put the Amplified up for us on that, please. Amplified. Be submissive to your masters with all proper respect, not only to those who are kind and considerate and reasonable, but also to those who are surly, overbearing, unjust, crooked. Do what with these folks? <laughs> but we're having a big time tonight, aren't we? Oh, praise the Lord. This is no way. I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. New Testament. No way the Lord would deal with me to submit and stay in a place where people are not kind to me. (laughs) I hear some wheels turning, man. If you're going to make it to maturity, if you're going to get and stay in your wealthy place, you've got to know these things. Not optional. You've got to know them. You've got to practice them. You know the problem with leaders? They're like you. What do you mean? They're like you. They got flesh. They can yield to it. They can say stuff they shouldn't say. They can yield to their temper. They can do dumb stuff. They can even be just carnal and come in and take their frustrations out on you. Like you've done. On your husband, or wife, or or child. Their biggest problem is that they're like you. Let's say they did something lousy. Let's say they did something mean. Does that change the plan of God? Does it change the structure and the places and seasons that God has set up and called us to? Is it fun? No. Is it right? No. Does it change the plan of God? No. So we've got to make up our mind. Are we little whiny babies? Can't take anything? Run? First sign of trouble or problem or challenge? Or can we endure hardness? Like a good soldier. Can we brush it off? Can we say, ah, <laughs> Lord help them. <laughs> Start praying for them. Hmm? Can you do it? Yes. Fellow minister, uh, well, actually, he was a student of mine some years ago. He's telling me about, before he came to school, some of the stuff he did as a pastor. I thought, man. Got up in the pulpit one day and he said, I heard some of the things y'all been saying about me. <laughs> he said, you're going to hell. <laughs> yeah, you're going to hell. You go bust hell wide open. I see some of you. I see how you're looking at me. He said, you know what? And I'm quoting him. I'm quoting him verbatim. He said, you know what? I wish I had my pistol with me this morning. (laughs) Yes, I do. You know what I do? And he pointed at his deacons. He said, you know what I do? Yeah. He'd say I'd go, pow. Thank you, Lord. 
And he just kept going. He said, and then I'd go, pow. Thank you, Lord. And he went over all his deacon board, pow. Thank you. And then he said, ah, ah, you don't like that? You don't like that? I'll meet you outside in the parking lot. I'll meet you out there right now. I said, you didn't. He said, I did, Brother Keith. I did. (laughs) I said, what did your people do to you? He said, well, thank God the mother said, pastor's going through a lot. (laughs) He's he's got a lot on his mind, yeah. Y'all pray for him. <laughs> now that's some mature people there. Right? That's what we're talking about. If you understand some things, you can go, Lord, I, what? They need some help. Lord, have mercy on But you don't just say, I don't have to submit and stay around and help anything like that. If the Lord told you to, you do. Or else you jump out of your place. Because he knew all that before he sent you. He knew he was going to have the pile, thank you, Lord, day. <laughs> before he ever sent you there. But he knew he was going to get past it and get it together. And go to school and get some training. And grow up and change. <laughs> Put it back up again in the Amplified. Submit to who? Be submissive to who? Not just those that are kind and considerate and reasonable. They're just unreasonable. Could be. But also to those who are sorely overbearing, unjust, Crooked, crooked. <laughs> so, so how can I stay with something like that? You do what the Lord tells you to do. He gets ready for you to go. He'll let you know. He'll release you. But you don't leave because you don't like something. You're led in and you're led out. But I mean you've really heard from him. And when the pressure's on, that's when you really got to watch it because you hear this all the time. You know, people say, oh, the Lord told me, the Lord told me to help, the Lord told me to do this, and I mean, it's just a few months. And they say, oh, the Lord's given me some new direction. They hadn't heard from the Lord. He doesn't change his mind like they're talking about. And that's their excuse. Every time they decide they're tired and they want to do something different or somebody's not treating them the right way or they want to do something and somebody's not allowing them to do it, I feel led, I feel led to go somewhere else. I I have a leading, the Lord's released me. A lot of people are just flat lying. They said the Lord released them and he did not. They are saying a lie about the Lord. He didn't tell them. He told them to stay. Why are we talking so much about this? Because there's a place where you will prosper, (laughs) where you will develop, where you'll be fruitful like no other place. There's a place. And you can't just pick any other place you'd like to have and be in and do 
and you're going to be just as blessed and prosperous. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Some folk don't care for this message tonight. <laughs> Let me remind you that I read scriptures. <laughs> I am reading the Bible. Don't forget that important, important part of it. Um, go to Luke 16, please, and go to Samuel. I don't think I'll need to keep you too much longer on this, but I want you to shout a little bit <laughs> before you go. Second Samuel 7 and Luke 16. You know, those 20-some years, we were able to serve with the Hagans, some of the finest people. Glory to God. I mean, what a privilege. I told some of my friends at different times, I said, if Keith don't make it, it's not the Lord's fault. He'd given me some of the best input and teaching. And, and how many would say the same thing about you? He has given you such input, such opportunity, such fellowship. But even at that, even with such amazing and fine people, in the course of that much time, like I mentioned last night, there were times that Phyllis and I considered quitting. There were times we thought about changing and doing something different, more than once. And looking back now, I can see any one of those places, if we'd have done it. I'm thinking of one time right now, I won't go into the details, but there was some pressure. I mean pressure. And I thought, man, I'm just going to quit. I'm, I don't have to do this. And I went back and I got before the Lord. And, and I mean, he let me know in no uncertain terms, am I your Lord or not? Are you going to serve me or not? Now, I told you what to do. Are you going to do it or not? And you come to the place where it comes down to how much you love the Lord. Doesn't it? Didn't he say, if you love me, what will happen? You will keep my commandments. You will do what I tell you to do. And there's times I've done things, and it wasn't just because I loved people. I did love them. But if that's all, it might not have been enough at that particular time. I did it because I loved the Lord. I loved him enough to do it. And that will carry you through anything. I said, that will carry you through anything. And even though those 15 years before... That man of God had said by the word of the Lord, he said, you're supposed to have your own ministry. I knew it was right in my heart. And yet for year after year after year, we put ours on the back burner. And we put theirs first. And we were supposed to. We could be in the middle of something. And if they called, we'd drop it. We'd drop it, walk out the door, leave stuff piled up on the desk. Because the Lord told us to. Our number one thing was helping them. But eventually there came a time. Are you in Luke 16? The Lord began to give us, oh, this was about 10 years ago now. The Lord began to speak to Phyllis and me a couple of words. This was one of them in Luke 16, verse 12. If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who will give you that which is your own? When you're helping somebody, it's another man's. This is something we need revelation in. 
I know one of the first times we were over at the Hagen's house, and Phyllis was helping them cut up some tomatoes, peel a tomato. Is that what it was? Brother Hagen says, no, here, that's not how you peel a tomato. And he starts showing her, well, we're from the country. We've seen a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> and a lot of you hear, I don't know at the people I've heard say things like this. Well, I reckon I know how to peel a tomato. Just leave me alone. Let me peel the tomato. You're missing a very, very important point. In fact, what? It ain't your tomato. Or your house. Hmm? Did y'all get that? Man, if that's all you got the whole night, it'd be worth it. Try it out. Say it one time. It ain't your tomato. It ain't your tomato. So she laid it down. She said, show me. Sorry. Show me. And he showed her. And she did it the way he wanted it done. Which is right. And that's not disrespecting people. That's respecting God. Oh can you see it? It's not making much of flesh. It's making much of what God has done. And what he said. We must respect the place. Even if we're not able to respect everything a person in the place says or does. We must respect the place. Or else we disrespect God. Because it's like this. If you don't peel another man's tomato. <laughs> the way he wants you to peel his tomato. Can you help me with the rest of the verse? You, you ain't going to get your own tomato. <laughs> huh? No tomato for you. And you got so many people as well, I will do it this way. Just leave me alone and let me know. It ain't yours. It's not yours to run as you see fit. Well, I got it in my heart that I'm supposed to run it. Well, maybe if you're faithful with another man's in 5, 10, 20, 50 years, the Lord would give you your own. But at the rate you're going, you'll never have your own. And there are so many their life it just keeps ticking by. And they don't have their own. And at the rate they're going, they're not going to have their own. Because they will not submit. They refuse. They're going to do it their way. And that's it. And unless you're going to turn it over to them. And let them do it the way they want to. They're not going to help you. They're not going to do anything. And they don't realize it. But the disrespect is straight to God. Luke 16. Help me out with it now. Verse 12. If you've not been faithful in that which is another man's. Who will give you that which is your own? What if you have been faithful? With another man's. You know the Lord told us that. Those 15 years before that. But then towards the end of that 15 years, he began to speak to my heart. He said, I'm going to give you your own. I'm going to give you your own. We've been talking about that 
in a number of ways, the Lord's going to give us our own houses, our own buildings, right? Our own lands, our own things. Do you understand? You've got to qualify. And there are opportunities. You'll be in a position to help somebody with theirs. Well, if it's theirs, how do you help somebody? You do it their way. You deal with their stuff the way they want you to deal with their stuff because it's not yours. And if you're faithful to do that, you qualify for your own. Did you find 2 Samuel? 2 Samuel, 7th chapter. The Lord gave Phyllis and I these two verses. What was it, about two years before we moved here? Remember, we were riding in that plane with those folk that one time, sitting in the back talking. And the Lord began to talk to us about having our own place. We didn't know what he was talking about, but we're standing in it tonight. Glory to God. And not just our own location, it's a condition. It's a happy condition. 2 Samuel 7, he gave us these two verses. 7.10. Moreover, I will appoint a what? A place for my people Israel. This has a double application because we're also the Israel of God. And I'll plant them that they may, are you ready to shout? That they may what? Dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them anymore as before time. Doesn't that sound like our text? We went through fire. We went through water. Men rode over our heads, but, 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 he brought us through it. He brought us out of it into a wealthy place. And we see here, it's our place, our, a place of our own. Glory to God. We can experience a type of that, only a type of that in this life. Because our real place of our own is in the eternal kingdom of God. He's working on it right now. (laughs) And what we're doing now is qualifying us towards that. (sighs) Hallelujah. He said, in my father's house. Our many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going. To, what's he doing? I'm going to prepare a place. Oh, 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 a place for who? For you. You. It's a place of your own. Oh, friend, I'm speaking by the Spirit now. Throughout eternity, it will be known as your place, your name. Everybody will know. Moses will know. Abraham will know. David will know. Everybody knows that's Andrew's place. That's Moses. But I'm talking about in heaven, in the kingdom of God to come. What you're over, what God is allowing you to do. It is your permanent, eternal, glorious place. What's qualifying you? Being faithful in that which is another man's. Qualifies you to have your own.
The Lord was telling us that two years before we got direction to come here. He said, uh, I'm giving you your own place. Now that means more than just a structure and a building. More than a location. It's a condition. It's a spiritual place. I'm giving you your own place. I'm giving you your own place. And that went with this other scripture, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. These two went together. We'd read them together. Didn't we read them every day? For, I don't know, many, many days. Every day these two scriptures would come up in our heart. We'd read one. We'd read the other. We'd shout about it. Because we believed the word of the Lord. I said we believed the word of the Lord. We thought, glory to God. Our own place. Hey. (laughs) In Ephesians 2. And verse 8. For by grace. Are you saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is. The gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has what? Before ordained. Ordained before what? Before you were ever born. Before you ever knew about any of this. That's why it's not okay for you just to come up with your own plan. And just go wherever you want to go. And do whatever you decide to do. And quit when you decide to quit. And leave when you decide to leave. Just because you get mad. That doesn't change the plan of God. Just because you get your feelings hurt. Doesn't change the plan of God. He has placed every member in the body. As it has pleased him. Is it true? Okay. Let's say he placed you in the wrist. Remember. I mean I'm quoting from scripture now. The eye cannot say. To this part. The ear cannot say. The hand cannot say. The foot cannot say. Because I'm not an eye. I ain't in the body. Well yes you're in the body. And you can't just change what part you are. If you say I am tired of fooling with the hand. And I'm tired of fooling with the forearm. We had a falling out. And I don't want to be a wrist. No more. I want to be. Let's see. Tough. Tough. You are a wrist. And you can separate yourself and climb up and attach yourself on the side of the head. But you will never feel right being there. You will not work being there. The body parts are not interchangeable. I'm going to say that again. The body parts are not, how many understand feet are not interchangeable with hands. No. Eyes are not interchangeable with ears. The body part only works where it's supposed to be. So if you got a problem with the hand, wrist, you best get over it. Because <laughs> you are predestined and foreordained to work with hands. And that is never going to change. Some people said, oh God. Don't say, oh God. Say glory to God. Glory to God. 
Because God has not put you down here to torment you year after year. You're supposed to be flourishing. He didn't say He'd bring you out into your torment place. (laughs) He's bringing you out into your wealthy wealthy place of rich fulfillment. We read these two scriptures every day. Many, many days. Put it up on the screen in the Amplified. Because that's the one the Lord quickened to us. Everybody say it out loud. We are. are. Read it with me. God's own handiwork. His workmanship. Recreated in Christ Jesus. Born anew. That we may do those good works which God predestined. Planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. How many understand? I mean, half of the Old Testament was about the promised land. Wasn't it? Come on. I mean, half of, what is that? It's a type. It's a type of what we've got in the redemptive plan in Jesus today. What did the Lord tell him? The Lord said, I have scoped this whole planet over and I have found the place for you. God said, I picked it out personally. It's not like where you've been living and you have to irrigate everything. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land my eye is on all year round. I send the rain on it. I make the sun shine on it. He said, you got to see this. And when they got there, I mean, the grapes were so big. It took two men to haul a bunch of them back. You remember? Glory to God. What is it? It was their wealthy place it was the place now there were giants and there were walled cities and there were iron chariots and every other kind of thing try to keep them out and the first generation didn't believe it and gripe and complain and wandered around for years and wasted their life oh but there was a generation that come up and said we're tired of wandering around we're tired of being out of our place we're tired of being dry and poor and broke and hungry. We're going in. We're going in. And they went in. And they possessed the land. And they lived in their wealthy place. It's a type. I said it's a type of what's been bought and paid for us in Christ Jesus. We got a promised land. We got a wealthy place. It's not just a geographical location. Sometimes people say, well, are you saying that we're all supposed to move to Branson? Absolutely not. If this ain't your place, don't come. You won't prosper here. But there's a place. I said there's a place for every one of us in the body, in the country, in the world, in the work of God. And nothing is not your education, not climbing the corporate ladder, not your retirement. Nothing is more important than finding this. And living in it. And doing it. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand on your feet everybody. Hallelujah. 
This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.